and welcome to another episode of Dynamic Duos. I'm Tiffany Crivelli, and today we're featuring Taboo from the Black Eyed Peas and B. Earl. You may know them best from their 2022 Marvel comic series, Deadly Neighborhood Spider-Man. Currently, they're working on the Marvel comic miniseries, Daredevil and Echo, with art by Phil Noto. These two aren't just creators, they're fans too, and in this episode, they delve into what they collect, from Masters of the Universe to classic comics. They dive deep into storytelling, where their drive for creating came from, and how they spark inspiration for their next thing. It's an insightful episode filled with a lot of laughs and a ton of nerdy talk. So get yourself ready for another great episode of Dynamic Duos. What up, Tab? What up, Benny? Oh, man. How how are you this fine morning? Oh, man. I'm excited that it's not raining anymore, bro. It's nice and sunny outside. It's a nice, beautiful day in Los Angeles, and... It's good to talk to you. Same, man. You know, it's 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 crazy uh, how we've we've been uh, jumping around with different weathers and travels. And I know you've been traveling a lot. And I just got back from Nashville, and you know, and I think what it comes down to is is it's it's our creative journeys. And I think that's that's going to be the fun part about talking on this and and sort of interviewing each other. Let's let's get into the weeds. But I, I, I you know. I want to start. I was thinking about this last night. I was like, you know, what are the, some of the questions I would love to ask Tab? And what don't I know? And and what I don't know was like, what was the very first toy that you ever got that you were like, yo, this is my favorite toy. Like this is this is it. Like if I could only have this one toy, this is it. Great question, man. Great question. As you as you know, um, and the world probably knows. Uh, maybe some folks don't know. But I'm a big toy collector, and I've been an avid collector for many years. Uh, that led me to Comic Con. Uh, that led me to meet a lot of vendors, a lot of uh, you know designers, nerds like myself, toy nerds, and comic book heads like yourself. Yeah, I've been collecting for I've been collecting for so many years that you know I would say as a kid, the first toy that I geeked over uh, was probably my LJN wrestlers because I was a big huge wwf fan man like at that time it was wwf it was black belt theater kung fu theater um and it would come come on right after another you know it'd be like wwf superstars and then it would be um uh black belt theater or kung fu theater and so martial arts and wrestling has always been part of my i guess my upbringing um i love gi joe i love voltron but my ljn wrestlers were always because they were so big you know and they were like you could throw them against the wall, they? and they're yeah, they're yeah. probably like um, twelve inch. 12 okay, inch that's yeah. big. Were they like yes. rubber? Were they like that, that like heavy duty yeah. rubber? I kind of remember that with the WWF ones because they also they were big and rubber, and you could like smash them together. weren't weren't there some of those that? Or maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe I'm remembering what what you're talking about because I remember yeah, my buddy John. Those are the those are the WWF superstars, but they're called LJN. The the company that made them <sighs> is called LJN. Then okay, so this is a toy schooling for me because I didn't know. I thought LJN was something complete. No. So these were WWF wrestlers made yes. by LG- LJN. Yeah. So, so for those uh, people that may do a deep dive like myself, you know, LJN was the manufacturer and the producer of these wrestlers. Uh, I believe that they started with the, um, you know, the bendy and stretchy yes. wrestlers of the past. Do they and have then, a rainbow in their symbol or something? Yes. LJN. Yep. Like I'm like yes. visually, I remember the the packaging. Wow. Yeah, so I have a, a lot of the the carded ones. Like for example, uh, Hulk Hogan SummerSlam that I got on the Toy Hunter show from Jordan Hembro, and it was actually given to me by Hulk Hogan, and it was a summer, SummerSlam, uh, uh, or actually Survivor Series okay. black card from Montreal, Quebec. <laughs> and it was from eight, I believe it was eighty four or eighty three, um, and it's still carded for all my geeks that you know love yeah. to have carded graded. Uh, Gotta uh, have that card. Come on, yeah, man. So yeah, that's so I would say the packaging is part of it. Yep, exactly. Oh, that's that's awesome. I mean, you know, it's funny you say that because now it's coming back because I remember those toys. 
Um, because, you know, my best friend growing up, John and I were, we were GI Joe heads, but he was the wrestling dude. Like he was all into yeah. wrestling. Yeah. And I remember he had the ring yeah. and I remember like the whole, you know, the whole schlemiel. <laughs> like it was cool. I mean, play sets were everything, man. I mean, that was, I remember the Castle Grayskull play set. Yes. I remember, you know, the She-Ra play set. I mean, yeah. we had a Fisher Price castle that we used as our G.I. Joe play Wait, set. Wait, let me ask you a question. Yeah, <laughs> go. Since you brought up She-Ra and He-Man. Yeah. What was Skeletor's play set called? Let's see if you know. Off hand, internet. I'm not using internet. No, no, no. Um, oh, man, because there was Castle Grayskull. Oh. Think, I'm gonna give you a hint. Yeah. Think of what Skeletor was. It was Mount Skeleton. <laughs> Close. Uh, Close. Skel Skel Base. Skel Skel Hell. <laughs> um, oh man, what 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 was it called? I'm, I'm I know I'm gonna kick myself. Okay, so you're gonna kick yourself because yeah. you got Mount right. Okay, Mount. Skull Mountain. Ah, oh, Skull Mountain. Yeah. And I can picture it too. Like that's the thing. It's like I remember the visuals. I mean, oh, what was what was the dude's name? He was like the one who was kind of in between Skeletor and He Man. He uh, he was the dude with the 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 white mask. Remember that he was like uh, Gray Chuck or no? Uh, and him what and do you mean the white mask. He had like had a skull mask too, but it was a little bit different. It was. Oh, dude! Now, now I'm gonna use. I gotta use the. <laughs> I gotta use the internet. Um, He-Man villains. Hold on, because you know this is really bringing it back. Like there was. Oh man, there was. There was it, it, Evil Lynn. Um, do, do you remember? You'll you'll kick yourself when you when I say it too. Uh, oh, there he is. Hordak. Yes, in the horde. There it is. Yes, Hordak. He was my favorite. I thought Hordak was so much. I thought he was cooler than Skeletor. That was yeah, my Hordak own was dope. He was um, super dope. You know, it was cool to see um, Standor. Tell me if you remember Standor. No. Who is Standor? So Standor, from all my toy nerds, yeah. he was a, a one-off where they actually made Stan Lee part of the Masters of the Universe. What? Uh, uh, yes. Toys. Action figures. That's so Standor nuts. is a collectible that my my toy nerds would appreciate because it was like a comic-con exclusive that was done by uh masters masters of the universe and if you look it up look up standor and you'll okay. trip out standor well it's funny i mean thinking about like all those crossovers right like i remember the crossover with the fridge right like and gi joe wasn't the fridge it was uh the football yes player. it was but before that can you remember who came before that? It was a uh, WWF superstar. Oh, I mean, come on, Sergeant Slaughter. Yes, sir. Yeah, I mean that that was one of my favorites. Now, wasn't Sergeant Slaughter one of those mailaways? Oh, there's Standor. That's awesome. I'm looking right. at him right now. That's cool. Um, yeah, I mean, because it was, I think it was a mailaway to get the Sergeant Slaughter. You had to collect a bunch of different UPCs or something, yeah. and, and it was get, dope. It yeah. was awesome because and he had then an awesome started- vehicle. Yeah, you started having these cross pollinations of different uh, companies and, and figures, yeah. toys, and I remember I actually have the whole set of the Street Fighter GI Joe pollinate cross pollination. Oh wow, which is really dope too. I mean, you know that. Well, that kind of brings me to comics. You know, I mean, I think for me, I know that's like where you know, like we kind of have our separate paths because you really went hard into toys, and I really went into into comics and and. You know, I always loved the crossovers. Like it was always so much fun when you would have those sort of, you know, if DC and Marvel would do a crossover or, you know, Predator and Archie or which are newer things, right? Like where we have these sort of crossovers where you're playing with these two different universes and, you know, I mean, Alien versus Predator, right? I mean, that's that's such a, a big crossover that's kind of populated pop culture, but, um, you know, thinking back to crossovers, like, man, I mean, I just loved when they would do these massive, you'd have to go and get X-Men and then X-Force and then, you know, all those different ones and collect it to get the full story. But I think as a kid, you know, we I never had enough money to go. <laughs> it was like, all right, let's find the main arc and hope. <laughs> but, you know, was there was there a lot of that in toys as well? Like those sort of 
storytelling crossover cross pollination stuff you know definitely, that definitely especially with toys that actually came with a comic because yeah. gi joe actually came with a comic book um in certain certain iterations you would have um there was another toy that came with a comic um i want to say i want to say there was a run with masters of the universe but i'm not sure um, but I just love, and then on Transformers the, uh, came with comics, didn't Transformers, it? and then you would get a WWF Superstars poster with the LJN wrestlers sometimes. Oh, really cool! But yeah, man, it's it's beautiful when you're able to have an experience other than just a toy. You're actually getting a whole experience. You're getting the comic. You're getting the poster. Yeah, and it takes you on that journey of nostalgia, and that's kind of why I got into storytelling. I got into uh, storytelling without really knowing that this was going to be our journey. This was going to be our, our path. And I told you this before, playing in our backyard, just like you with G.I. Joes and with wrestlers and creating these worlds without really knowing what the path was going to be. It's like you are you have a fort in the back and you're right. you're battling G.I. Joe versus Cobra. Cobra. La, 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 Cobra. I mean, that was exactly. – that's also so wacky and wrong too. Cobra. That's so wrong. But, but, but that whole idea of creating worlds and storytelling, even at a young age of seven, eight years old, five years old, however old you were when you picked up the toy and you started making these – using your imagination – it's funny that now we're able to tell those stories through comics and, and getting to work with some of the most amazing artists, illustrators, uh, the most amazing editors uh, to be able to bring the, these characters to life, you know, because it is a team effort. And I love the teams that we've been able to to empower, yeah. be a part of, you know. Well, I think, you know, in that in that sort of thing, right, like. The beautiful thing to me about Marvel Comics and, and and just comics in general, like when I talk about comics, I mean, you know, meaning DC and, and Dark Horse, but the comics that have universes connected to them, right? Like these sort of collective universes that have existed for a long time. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's like getting to play with the toys in the toy box, right? Like coming in and, and getting that opportunity to play with Spider-Man or coming in and playing with uh, Dr. Doom or, or any of these sorts of characters, but, you know, being able to weave together a lot of different, um, elements and I- ideas, ideologies, whatever you want to call it, and personal experiences connecting to, uh, I guess vision, right? Like as a kid, you sort of have these very sort of base stories, right? Bad guys and good guys. Here's a good guy. Here's the bad guy. And it's very kind of black and white. But as we get older, it's it's that sort of journey of going, well, where does good and evil begin and end, right? Where does, you know, if you start looking at the world at large and start getting into sort of just a bigger picture, but it's so daunting to start to look at the world and go, man, like there were bad, those were bad people, you know? And if we even talk about like the stuff we do, you know, and talking about like, you know, tying into your heritage of Native American, I mean, just looking at like what what governments have done that have been bad, but we still have to be like, well, what, how do, how can you live in a world where bad exists exactly in next to good? And how do we define that in storytelling and how do we ultimately uh, build platforms and, and worlds for that? I mean, I think that's, that's always to me, the fun of it. So yeah, I mean, and if you want to jump in, cause I have a question on that. I think that could be fun to kind of spark a conversation, but if you want to jump in on a thought. Yeah. On yeah. Cause I started thinking about, um, the hero who may not be looked at as a hero. Like, for example, when I first watched First Blood, you know, John Rambo is a guy that comes into this sleepy town. He's a he's a veteran who suffered a lot of trauma because of, of being captured. But yet he was looked at as an outcast, you know, and the sheriff of that town was like, he's, you know, this John Rambo's a bad guy, but really he wasn't. He just had, he was misunderstood. People didn't know what he had gone through. Right. And he was just trying to get a meal. Right. Yeah. So like stories like that, where it's like you want to cheer for the police, but really you're cheering for the guy who's kind of like the anti-hero. A hundred percent. Yeah. Because this guy was misunderstood and like Batman, another misunderstood guy who. He's a whole can of worms. (laughs) He's a bit, you know, a guy dresses up. The idea of of, uh, the anti-hero, right? Yeah. the, The Billy Jack. Billy Jack wasn't a hero. Right. He was, you know, he was a guy that was just trying to stand his ground. And all these other people were making him the anti-hero or making him the bad guy. 
Bruce Lee, another guy. He wasn't welcomed in in the U.S. market. I'm not trying to get deep. I'm just giving you facts. Yeah, no, I mean, I think these are all The world wasn't ready for that hero yet. They weren't ready for Bruce Lee. And the fact that he went to overseas to create these movies so that he can show that he can be a leading man. The reason why I'm telling you this is because sometimes with storytelling, you got to go against the grain. Well, I mean, look, I I agree. But I think, you know, going into a, a little bit deeper, the hero must kill the hero. Right. Like it's 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 this concept of when you start talking about the anti-hero, you know, um, and I, I know we don't have to get too deep in the weeds because right now I'm reading Libra Novus. Right. Which is Young's Red Book. And it's all about our dream theory and it's all woven into storytelling. Right. I don't know. Have you read The Hero with a Thousand Faces? No, but let's let's uh, let me. Um, let's, so, I mean, let's, yeah, but these are these are a like good, challenge. Yeah, let's, let's go. Challenge. <laughs> all right. A challenge. I won't say like. And you, for the rest of the um, conversation, <laughs> you cannot say getting in the weeds. Don't say that. Again. <laughs> All right, that's an easy one. I thought you were going to say you can't say you know. Because if you said, <laughs> you know, you know, you know, you know, eh, like, you know, the weeds. All right, no more weeds, getting no more likes. Um, no, I. So see, I said, you know, um, I'm going to, I'm going to try to be more cognizant of that. Uh, I think what would be fun is, is like, is, is like, God, yeah, you're killing me. You're killing me here. You're killing me, Charlie. Um, I, I think what's fun is, is taking, what are we, what are we reading or, or, or watching or listening to in pop culture, um, or in history or in sort of, uh, any sort of medium. And it can be comics, it can be books. I mean, I have a few books that I'm reading right now that are, you know, kind of very relevant to a lot of the storytelling and a lot of the storytelling. One that, that you and I have been uh, working on with Marvel, but also I'm doing independent stuff and comics and things that we're doing, like stuff that we're pulling from. Because I think one of the most important things is, as a creative, and I, I would probably say this too, and we can talk about this with music, right? Like where, you know, music being a form of storytelling or, and creativity, how do we fill our gas tank? And I think like maybe we could both go and say like, what are we doing right now as creatives filling our gas tank, both with like sort of the pop culture side of things, but also with the stuff that is really what I'll call the onion, the the deeper layering of where we're pulling and drawing inspiration from. And it doesn't even just have to be about writing. It can be about, you know, I mean, for you, obviously the music element of like where, because when you send tracks, it's like, wow, where did you pull that from? Where did you get that inspiration? And I think, you know, kind of looking at storytelling as a whole from a creative side, where do we get our gas and what are we filling up our tanks with? And I think that'd be a fun thing to kind of riff on and, and create a conversation. So for, for me, it's, it's personal experience. Um, it's going to Standing Rock. It's standing against uh, imperial economic bullying, right? It's going to a sacred ground like uh, the Osheti camp and being surrounded by native relatives, indigenous relatives and allies who are standing in solidarity to protect sacred land, to protect sacred water. Uh, Something as simple as water, Uh, water is life. Like this is my journey. This is what I went through. After battling cancer, I, I needed holistic healing, and I felt like going to Standing Rock really paved the way for me as an activist to be a voice in indigenous communities and get the trust and the respect and the um, kind of the the nod to be able to tell these stories. Because our storytelling is not one-dimensional. It's not just like, oh, we're telling the story of Spider-Man or, yo, we're, we're reading a book about Native people. It's like, no, we're not. That's not the only thing we're doing. We're using native mythologies. That's not the only thing we're doing. Because if you don't do the groundwork and you're not in the trenches and you're not gaining respect from all these different relatives in Indian country, then why are you telling native stories? Why are we incorporating that in our in our storytelling? Because you like to read books? That's cool, but that's not the full engine to us. I think Oh yeah, no, no, no. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying what are you feeling? No, no, no. I'm, 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 speaking, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm speaking about creativity. Right, Where right. Creativity comes from. For me, it's personal experience. Sure, empirical. You asked me the question about storytelling. So let's take um, Marvel One Thousand. Marvel One Thousand was our first installment to our Marvel journey. 
So the fact that we're able to pull from Protect the Sacred, which was uh, inspired and, and, and motivated by my trip to Standing Rock. And yes, we had different iterations and, and different uh, um, ways to, to pay homage to Red Wolf in all his different iterations. But the reality was being able to take from my experience and, and, and apply that, going to Indigenous Peoples Day and getting inspired from that energy of L.A., um, you know, all these different experiences for me, I'm, I'm answering your question. Your question is, where do you pull from creativity? What does it create to say in general? Like, right. Like if you were to say, all right, I'm going to write a song Do you. I mean, this is just a general question about like creative ideas, right? Like gas tanks. I love these kind of questions. Cause like, are you like, when you like, I would love to understand, right? Like if you're listening to a, a track on like Redbone, Standing right? Rock was from, from going to Standing Rock. Like I wrote the Standing Rock anthem stand up. No dapple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that creativity through music on from the where's experience. the love? I wrote that on the heels of nine eleven. Right. The, the craziness that was happening during nine eleven with the separation and the divide caused me, Will I am an apple, to say, "Where's the love within humanity?" So those are personal experiences that I've gone through uh, in my journey as an artist, as a musician, as a storyteller through music and using the frequency of sound and and lyrics and melody to be able to tell those stories uh, that speak to millions and millions of people around the world. That's how I've been able to pull from my personal experiences to tell these stories in turn, leading me to be able to be on this path uh, to be a storyteller with Marvel because of the groundwork that I've done in music. It was a very natural uh, organic um, uh, progression to be able to collaborate with you on all these different um, books that we've created with Marvel and been blessed to create with. Um, but it all stems from personal experience, uh, the music, the storytelling, uh, the characters, pulling from ideas that my, my daughter and my sons, who are huge, huge uh, uh, contributors to my inspiration. Um, when, when we got together as, as a duel, I said, I want to write for our kids. I yeah, want for to the kids. For yeah, kids. I mean, they're the future. I mean, and that's, that's why it was it was important for us to pull from uh, personal experience. And I know well, you, you always look, talk you know, about werewolf by night, for instance. I love. I always, I always hear you say, I always hear you say about mythologies and and pulling from different books, and that's dope. I love that. I love that about you that you've always um, told that story about. I didn't have a TV, so I had to read all these books growing up. And that's, yeah. that makes you really special that you have that innate wisdom, that knowledge. Well, I think, yeah. And I think to that point, right. It's like as children, we are guided in a very specific way by our parents, right? Like, you know, our parents, whether it's through religion, whether it's through culture, whether it's through any of those kinds of things. And I think, you know, for me, it was finding that escape and kind of bringing this, the conversation back to, to comic books, you know, and, 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 you know, what the CBR audience, right. Like, being comic book readers, like for me, I was, you know, 10 years old, 11 years old, reading Archie, reading X-Men. And this is, I, I, I brought this for show and tell. This is my, my very first comic I ever got. Not this one. This is the wraparound, but this was X-Men number one, the Chris Claremont, Jim Lee. And, you know, it, to me, it spoke to me, it, it spoke to me because I was a kid who felt like I was an outcast. Like I was Jewish and Catholic in a Christian town with everyone, you know, was Italian and Catholic. And I'm like, mom, are, are, are we Italian at all? And my, my parents were like, no, no, Ben, there's, there's no Italian in you. I'm like, but, but everybody else is Italian. And I, and it was just that feeling of like being an outsider. And I think, you know, in comics, so often comic books speak to the outsider, right? They speak to the person who, you know, doesn't really feel like they fit in. They're always a little bit left of center. And I think that's, you know, kind of a big part of, of the journey, you know, when creatives, if you always feel like you fit in, you never feel like you have to kind of define yourself, right? Like, so if you don't fit in, there's this sort of goal of like, well, who am I? How do I define myself? And it kind of goes back to a lot of what we talk about with identity. And, you know, comic books for me were a big part of my identity, right? Like I was 12 years old, 13 years old, connecting with my friends, going down to the comic book shop, you know, hanging out, talking about the new uh, Wildcats that was coming out. When was, when was Wills Petrasio? <laughs> you know, when is Cyber Force? Silvestri, we want our Cyber Force, you know? 
And, and I think there was this kind of commonality and community that comics really built. And it gave us as outsiders an opportunity to connect. And I think, you know, that's really where as a kid, it was filling up the gas tank, you know, and I know that like, we're talking about like empirical versus sort of uh, uh, kind of data consumption, I guess, for lack of a better word, right? Like where you're filling your gas tank with all these stories and stuff. And I think, you know, what you're talking about is great because it's like empirical knowledge, right? It's like being in the moment, being present and, you know, going and meeting with people and getting that firsthand knowledge and then being able to have an oral tradition, right? Like what you're talking about is very much of like the oral tradition, which is makes so much sense, right? Like from a sonic, from a musical standpoint, it's very much the oral tradition, right? And And for me, it's always been the written word. You know, and I think that's that's where that kind of combination connecting oral and written is really where the sort of uh, incredible opportunity to tell stories comes from where, you know, sonic and and, uh, you know, uh, visual start start bleed yeah. together. And that's where film I started, I started as a poet before I started rapping. Yeah. Before I started putting melody to my poetry. Um, and I was part of a group called Pablo, which is a spoken word poet poetry type of uh group yeah before we became black ips so my my writing has always been visual and has always been audio so i i've kind of dived i, Ooh, I, I got both worlds and so like i used to write poetry and they would put my poetry up on you know like on the uh on the the projector to show the way that i used to write now i would I would really. Do you have any of it? I would. This is me now. Is like I want to like geek out. Like I would love if you got any of that poetry, man. It would be so dope to to read. Yeah, that. I, I mean, I, I yeah. remember some of the stuff that I that I used to write. Um, actually, do I have anything here? Bring um, it up. I mean, this is no. I think poetry. I dude. I, that's what I went to school for was poetry. I mean, as a freaking English major in poetry, and it was like because I was lazy. I really didn't want to have to read Henry James and you know uh, Ulysses. I just wanted to read. Uh, Keats and and uh, whatever. Yeah, so I, wrote, I wrote a poem about my grandmother. Oh, sick! So this is this is a poem that I wrote about my grandmother. Like, I could kick it to you guys, um, just because you know poetry. It's it's kind of like rapping, but there's no melody to it. It's just, right. It's uh, but it was thought, and it was it was it was personal experience. It's that thing that we, that I was talking about about actually living it, and yeah. you know, getting firsthand feeling and connect connectivity to the actual reason why I became a storyteller. Um, people always say, Hey, why don't you pull from your own story? Whether we're pitching animation or we're pitching uh, Marvel stories. I think that's what, what CB saw in us is he said, I, I love what you, what you did in, in at standing rock when we first met, what is that thing that you, you know, whatever that thing that you bring, bring more of that. So whether we've had, uh, you know, Red Wolf and, and Jake Gomez, which was the first uh, iteration of Werewolf by Night issue one that we created, or we had Kashala, um, or we had, um, uh, you know, Spider-Man and we have a new character. Um, well, I mean, look, let's not get too into it. I want to say it into the depths. I won't say into the weeds. <laughs> because Why not? Well, no, I think, I think your point, yeah, I mean, I think, no, and I think that's really, I think it's really poignant, but I, I mean, because I would love to hear more like the, the, the verses you wrote. Cause I think that's the stuff, right? Like you're writing like this, this poetry. And I think poetry is connected to feeling, right? And feeling is so important. Like how as humans we connect and where do we bring that knowledge and that, that stuff from? I mean, look, Spider-Man is not about feeling it's about it is a lot of logos connecting to the the journey to the center of the self and killing one's hero right like that's what spider-man i mean it definitely pulled directly from young and the hero being killing the self right so like those kinds of things are are a big part of like dream theory right but where does dream theory connect to human emotion and dreams and how we like connect that like where those moments like when you're writing that that poetry what are you seeing when you're writing that poetry? That's why I was kind of saying, like, you know, like getting. So I into see your- myself in my grandmother's living room at five years old, dreaming to one day be on a big stage performing, and seeing my grandmother's joy and her happiness. That's why I wrote this poem. Yeah, that's the reason why I wrote this poem to uh, to thank you, just like Kobe Bryant wrote, um, you know, his dedication to basketball. 
if it wasn't for my grandmother, I wouldn't be even talking to you right now, Benny. Yeah, if it yeah. My grandmother, if it wasn't for the the emotion that the dream that she sparked in her living room, um, the passion, the love, the appreciation that my grandmother gave me at such a young age, turned me into a storyteller without me even knowing that I was going to tell stories through through rhythm, through movement, through dance. Right, dance. I mean, dance is such a big part of it. I would love to talk about that too. Like, I mean, we can get into the to the stuff of the dance because I mean, you're such you're so connected to dance, and I think that. As storytelling and like, you know, Kenneth and those guys that we, you know, brought into uh, our, our conversations. I mean, and Kenneth with fan, Fancy Dance, is that, is that what was, is that his, is the, the style? Horse, oh, fancy Horse Dance. Fancy Horse. I think, I mean, it's amazing because there's so much storytelling in dance and, and we kind of forget that because, you know, I really, I would love to learn more about that. You know, if we're, if we're talking about like learning through, through storytelling and learning through, you know, creative elements, what, what in dance? Cause I know you were like, dance was your thing. I mean, you always, we were just going through ballistics and I was watching the, your interview talking about, you know, making sure you were in that cipher you always. Know? and, always. and always being I mean, like, let me, let me just explain to you guys how I pull inspiration from actually being and and receiving uh that conversation of dance so i wrote an idea about around the olympics being part of uh break dancing being part of uh the olympics in 2024 and i actually put my daughter in it b girl jet nice an idea and her crew the z crew and i also came up with a villain named pike I came up with characters named Stinkies because that's kind of like what, what my daughter says a lot. Oh, they're stinky. Yeah. So I started creating. I started creating an idea from a conversation that I had with my daughter about dance. Yeah, she yeah. Dance. She's not a break dancer the way I was. So I pulled from her energy, her lens. I created a character named B Girl Jet and the Z Crew to be able to tell that story. Um, because it's important for me to to activate inspiration and personal experience from my history as a dancer. So because I had that conversation with my daughter, which I was having a full-on conversation about how uh, there's really no dancers in, uh, uh, in, in cartoons or animation that have an authentic, genuine representation in the dance community. Mm-hmm. And it was cool because she loves to dance. She's not yeah. a break dancer, like I said. So pulling from that experience and that conversation was a natural way to connect those tissues of storytelling, my history as a dancer, but also something that my daughter inspired so that I could create this new idea. I love that. I mean, you know, those are the kinds of stories we need more of, right? Where it's like kids feel that they belong and that they feel that they have uh, a voice, you know, and that they can express that voice. And I think, you know, what's interesting to that, right? Is that dance is something that you could be like 10, same with like skateboarding, right? You could be like a 10 year old skateboarder and be like incredible. And then you've got like this, like 30 year old skateboarder who's like, Whoa, like that 10 year old is better than me. And it, it, it automatically breaks the boundaries. It, right. It like starts to break these sort of, uh, bubbles that we say, oh, you're an adult. You sit over there, right? Or like some kid who's I remember, you know, we were talking about this with uh with ballistics, right? Where and I know the audience doesn't know much about this, but we can talk a little bit about this was where you found, you know, your crew and your people. And that's where, you know, Black IP started. But there was a story where Will went up against uh, a little, like a young kid rapper that I think Polo was repping. And he was like 10 years old or something. And, you know, and that's the crazy thing. It's like, here's this little kid going up against an older kid and they're on that same level playing yeah. field. And I'm telling his talent, brother. Tell right. Him talent. You know, you can have like a kid that's 19 years old going against Michael Jordan. Just like Kobe Bryant went up against Michael Jordan. Yeah. And it didn't matter. It's like, yo, you're in the NBA. You're a 19-year-old kid out of high school. And now you're balling against the greatest. I love that. And eventually you will become one of the greatest. And so Kobe, he had that killer instinct at such a young age that it didn't matter how old Michael Jordan was. He was at the same playing field. Even though Michael Jordan is always the GOAT, you know, Kobe stood that that kind of stood up to the giant and said, yo, I'm a kid, but I'm still going to rock as hard and, and, and give my all just like you give it. 
I think, I, you know, I think that's a really good point because like in storytelling, right? Like in comics or whatever, right? All of a sudden, a 12-year-old kid, there was like, what was it? Do you know the, the oh, was it Axe Cop? Do you know that comic Axe Cop? It was, uh, so there was this kid, a little boy who I think he wrote the story and his brother drew it. So it was like written by like a 10 year old and drawn by like a professional, like his, you know, and you have these like crazy stories <laughs> that are so out there that only a 10 year old could come up with. But obviously they, they, they look like they belong on the, on the shelves. And I love that concept, right? Where it's like this sort of strange, weird connective tissue because kids just see the world differently. And that childlike wonder is is a thing that you know we lose as we get older ultimately it just keeps getting beaten out of us systemically we are just this is what you're supposed to do you're supposed to do this by this stage you need to be this you need to have this much in your bank account to be an adult you know like all that stuff but as a kid you're like i just want to play right i mean it's like and i think going well, back to that, what we were talking kind of, about, hmm? about playing that's kind of what i um i'm gonna start using uh, a different language instead of practice you need to practice right hey, let's go play. play let's go play let's go play you know what I'm saying? Like, my kids love to play music they don't practice, yeah, practice music play music right so instead of saying you need to practice right let's, say, let's go play music let's go let's play music exactly. let's go play basketball not go practice your basketball yeah, i love exactly. that i think you know that's one of the going back to what you just said about playing music right like if i want to hang out with my friends and let's play music I don't say, hey, guys, you want to get together and practice some music together? You know, <laughs> like, no, it's like, let's jam. Let's get together and play, you know, and, and and it's it's the language is so powerful and important because it changes our brain. You know, it's almost like language and how it wires us. I love that. I mean, you know, when we sit around and play and going back to what we first started this whole conversation, it's like toys, toys let you play. And I mean, I, I know I mean, you probably, I don't know, I'm, my, my desk, if you flip the camera, <laughs> right? It's like toys, man. <laughs> it's all toys. And and I think you, you just got up to probably go get some toys. <laughs> but I mean, that that to me is, you know, a big part of what we lose um, as we get older. And I think, you know, the it's interesting too, and I know this is a little sort of out of the wheelhouse of what we talk a lot about. But, you know, I grew up on D&D, right? And we, I know we talk about that a lot, like how role-playing games have come back in such a big way and board games came back in such a big way, especially through the pandemic. But it's like it allowed people to play. It allowed people to let go of all of their inhibitions and, and really connect through play. I mean, as we exist in this digital world, do you think that, you know, we're, we're talking about – and one of the things that, you know – I've been so deep into is AI and uh, metaverse. And I say that in air quotes because it doesn't exist. And, you know, all of this sort of tech side, right? And these digital collectibles and things like that. But I'm curious what your thoughts are because I have my opinion. But what do you think is going to happen in our kids' kids' generation? Do you think that they're going to have that same physical connection to toys, to objects to comic books, right? Like comic books. Now you can read on Marvel unlimited. You can read it comiXology, right? But there still are people that want to buy the books and the same thing with the toys. Like, do you think it's going to be an extension and we're going to see a hybrid of analog and digital, or do you think we're going to lean so heavily into digital because of space and cost? Or do you think we're going to go way against it and push back and say, screw this digital. We're going back to analog. We're, <laughs> I love wires, you know, that kind of thing. Where, where do you see the future sitting? And, and let's have a conversation a little sure. bit about that. Um, so uh, I salute you, salute you for being an amazing visionary in all the stuff that you've been doing um, outside of the stuff that we do together. You know, salute to your your thinking forward five, ten, fifteen years ahead. Uh, you've always been like that. So salute to all the great opportunities that you have to speak on your knowledge and your information that you've dedicated yourself to. Um, I will say that you know I'm I'm old school yeah. myself. Speaking yeah. for myself, uh, I'm old school. I love the actual physical collectible. Um, I get the whole digital collectible, but I don't want it on my phone. I don't care about my phone. 
I don't right. want to be locked in here. I'm trying to get away from this. Oh, 100%. Do you think because our kids, kids I'm, though? I'm, yeah, it's like, I don't want my kids to be like, I got I, the new NFT here. I right. got the new digital collectible. It's all, Pokemon, you're not, go! You're balancing the, the fact that, you know, you're able to actually appreciate what you have and play with it and not just be like, well, yeah, I have collectibles. They're all right here. Right. Like that's cool for people that enjoy that, but for me, it's like I like to see it. I like to hold it. To have that nostalgia of when I was a kid and I used to play with the action figures and actually look at them and see all every single detail and feel it, just like vinyl. Like I remember going into uh, record stores and 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 uh, digging in the crates for vinyl. I remember going to Sam Goody's and Virgin Mega Store and Tower Records and looking for cassette tapes. I remember going to, we just had a conversation. I know, we're about talking about Be Kind Video over talk, Burbank. Yeah, Come on, baby, let's go. Exactly. <laughs> Pick out those movies. How, how are we going to talk about it and be all nostalgic, but then you are not connecting to it because you're so far over well, here. That so the question, the question is, and, and I agree with you 100%. I mean, I look at like this needing to be a balance between analog and digital. The question yeah. really is about what are we looking at in the next 50 years, right? Like, are we, because of space, because of costs, right? Like people can't afford to live in Los Angeles, really. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the homelessness here, and we're not getting too deep into it. And I didn't say it in the weeds, but deep almost. into the, I know almost, you're doing it. No, 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 in the grass? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, deep, deep into like the, 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 the social and political and economic issues we're facing right now. Right. Like, and, and the, the challenge there becomes how do we find a balance between technology and humanity? And I think that's the, like, we have to chart this path because, you know, I think my, my question really is, do you see our children's children? So that's, I don't know, 70 years from now. Maybe, I don't know, 60. Do you see that generation being strictly digital or a mix of digital and analog? I, I would say my children are a mix because they no. love their they love their video games. Right. I get that. It's a balance. And I, you know, I give them their opportunity to tap into that. But also my kids appreciate the craftsmanship of yeah. someone actually designing this and putting time into painting it. Uh, you know, shout out to Sideshow. Um, yeah, my guys that you know I've been rocking with for so many years, and to see the thought process, the design, the, the craftsmanship that it is—it's an art piece, right? Like, this is an art piece. Someone actually stood in their in their spot to design something that doesn't exist. This is an art piece, ladies and gentlemen. hundred percent. You can't get Kishala. I don't know if people can see this because it's a podcast, but Kashala, Tavis showing Kashala right now, and it's an Yo, incredible one of one. Yeah, uh, so so it's just it's it's uh it's amazing to have that that balance. Yeah. Because the question is, do you see that? I said, yeah. I said I see both both work together. You know, yeah. you can have digital and that's dope. It's awesome. You can also have a physical collectible that you can actually appreciate and see all the detailing and really takes takes you back to the nostalgia of when you had when you were playing in your backyard and there wasn't no social media, there was no phone. Cell phone <laughs> the good you know? old days where we would make things up and run around with sticks and pretend they were like swords and things like that. But that's um, the imagination. That's of course. How, that's how Stanley did it. That's dreams. You no, know, it's like I, it's, I'm a I'm a big believer of like these toy uh, designers, these these uh, these comic book creators. Uh, they all had imagination without having a cell phone or without having digital access. So how do we continue that same legacy? How do we have a balance of both? And I think, I think to your point, right, it's like, you know, I, I don't know, you, you've sort of been aware of the AI generative art. And I know you had sent me some of those pictures that had generated, you know, of your face and things like that, which, you know, I am, I am also that mindset of like, I don't, I don't like it personally, but I don't dislike it. I sort of sit in the middle of it. You know, and where like I've got a project, this Riglin project that's coming out and these art pieces you can buy, they were generated by AI, but then an artist came in and redesigned and reconfigured and made them work for, you know, what that piece is. And I think it's a really interesting, you know, conversation because right now, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of creatives out there, a lot of kids, right? And those kids because of technology are able to create in a new and a different way. Like your son, right, with Ableton, 
Like you have a home recording studio that would have just as I do, right? Like where we have these recording studios that didn't cost us a ton of money, but 50 years ago, it would have been unheard of. The fact that I'm sitting here with a pretty nice mic, you know, <laughs> plugged into my, you know, my, my outbox. It's, it's like, that's my interface. You know, it's like those kinds of things are where we're seeing creativity allow uh, a bridge with technology that hopefully will unlock the dreams and the imaginations of those that may not have the means, the money to spend to go and hire some amazing artist. We are so fortunate and blessed to be working with Juan Ferreira. Like, you know, when we, you know, it's like the dreams in my, you know, I'm seeing of Spider-Man and then Juan's dreams coming together, right? I mean, it's like this collective dream is so incredible. And then what if we could bridge that? What if a young, what if your son was, who's an artist is able to expedite his creativity and start putting out, you know, comic books. I think there's something, there's something interesting there. I I know it's a whole other conversation, but to me, and, and I know we're kind of hitting that hour, but you know, it's, it's, do you see technology and just as, as a musician, right? When you were starting out, and now you see your kids with their ability to have the tech at their fingertips, Ableton, Push, whatever. Do you see it as a benefit and a positive or do you see it as like something that could be negative or do you sort of see it as as, as kind of both? I don't know. I mean, what do you see like just in your own journey as a musician and, you know, having to rely on others to go to a studio or whatever and now – you can see your kids be able to create in their bedroom, literally. Well, what I love is the fact that my, my sons are musicians. They read, they write, um, they play. Journey plays three instruments. Jalen plays guitar. He plays bass. So the fact that they have their weapons and they could apply their weaponry to this technology, which is Ableton Live, to create uh, a beat. Yeah. And to put it together, I think it's dope, man. I think it's yeah. beautiful. It's a beautiful intersection. Um, because, you know, just like when we had real to real tracks and then we did ADAT and now right. we have Pro Tools. Um, Everything it, is it, waveform. Yeah. It's, right? it's, beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful to see the evolution and how fast we could cut and paste. And it doesn't have to be like, we don't have to cut tape. And right, you can together. make you can record on your phone. You can make you can a record on your phone. phone. I mean, yeah, I, dude. what was it, little yachty? Like, just did a. I mean, there's just so much that you can do at your fingertips. Yeah, like I, I did this. Uh, I did this idea over my phone, voice memo, and I sent yeah. it to John Norton. Yeah, the song together for me. Yeah, I was, I was in. Uh, what, what country was that? I was in in um, in Spain. Right. And I had a I had a deadline with something. And I just recorded a voice memo of my vocal, sent it to him, yeah. he put his his magic on it, and we created a song while I was overseas. And I didn't even have to be in a professional studio. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, look, here we are. You know, I mean, obviously, yes, we're just on other sides of town. We're not that far away. But but the fact that we're like on other sides of town, we don't have to get out of our pajamas <laughs> if we don't want to, and we get to hang out and do this conversation. And and it's able to be up live and everyone in the world could listen to it, you know, tomorrow if they wanted. That to me is incredible. And I, I look, I, I have a question. double-edged sword. Yeah. I have a question. So this is the, the question uh, I've been wanting to ask you. Yeah. Okay. So if you had the opportunity, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be um, the things that we've worked on. Yeah. If you had the opportunity to write a villain story mm. where you the main focus is only the villain. I mean, you know the answer. Go ahead. The people don't know that. The people don't know that. No, that's a really good question. I mean, look, uh, Tab, you know. I mean, the Joker is my favorite character. Uh, I mean, I just find the jester, the trickster, to be one of the most intriguing characters in literature. And, you know, I love I love the Joker's story and the multiple iterations of the Joker. Uh, as from the movie side, I still – and I know people – Jack Nicholson's Joker is still my favorite Joker <laughs> – that's just, you know, my favorite. Maybe it was because the impact that movie had on me and, you know, how Michael Uslan really helped bring that darker side with Tim Burton. And, I mean, the Joker is just incredible. And the dynamic between Batman and the Joker is just fascinating to me because they're both dark and they're both light. And they both have this, like, intrinsic connection <laughs> where, I mean, man, it's life. 
that's what life yeah. is. It's dark that's and dope. light. It's, you know, so yeah, you know, that's, that's my, <laughs> I, I'm going to ask myself the same question and I'm going to go obscure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go uh, the typical route. I'm going to go with something that best represents me as an individual that I have been doing for many years that actually led me to connect with you. Um, I would say the toy man from the justice league. Okay. I mean, from, from, uh, from, okay. uh, 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 the Legion of doom, you know, I grew up on, on yeah. just league versus the Legion of doom. And I just remember always seeing the toy man and there was something really, I, I mean, don't you know love toys. Was, You're the toy man. Yeah, he's a toy guy. <laughs> so, so there was something really cool about that. Um, and that was DC. Um, although we're, we're talking about our Marvel space, Oh, it's all comics. We're talking about pop culture yeah. here. It's, yeah, it's anything I'm, I'm is fair game. I gotta, I, I'm, you know, I gotta be biased because we have our, our Marvel, uh, got our Marvel love. Yeah, we right. got our Marvel love. So, nah, but I think that's the beauty of comics. I think, look, as much as you know, there's sort of these rivalries, and I say that in air quotes between, you know. Oh, are you a Marvel? Like my son was even like, oh, I got an argument with this other kid. He's on to DC and I'm on to Marvel and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but remember, you're both into stories and comics. And at the end of the day, these characters are really in a lot of ways the new gods that we look to and the new heroes. And these are the heroes that kids are watching on the big screen or reading their comics or playing the video game, you know, as Miles Morales swinging through the streets of New York city. And it's like that feeling of an experience and, and, you know, that's what it's about. I mean, to me, like that's what great storytelling. And I think, you know, almost putting an end cap on this for us as storytellers, you know, storytelling is everything. And I just saw like Otto just picked up a book of Dave Grohl, the storyteller, which I thought was kind of interesting, right? He calls this book the storyteller, right? And here's Dave, who's, you know, this incredible musician and had such influence on, on the music business and, and world. And it's just ama- amazing to me that, you know, storytelling encompasses everything. And every day we go out and we tell our story and, you know, you telling me your story and how you and your grandmother and how cancer and how your kids and, you know, and that's it. And these are our, our stories of who we are and then how we relate to each other. And I think that's, that's the, the most beautiful thing is communication and connecting the human experience. And I think that's why I really, you know, I look at technology as a double-edged sword because if we look to it as a panacea to fix us and save us, it's a problem. But I think, you know, what you and I do and what we always want to do is really connect and communicate the human experience to each other and to our kids and our families and everything like that. And I think that that to me feels like a, a noble cause. And and I yeah. think, you know, <laughs> that's that being said, you know, I want to um, take time to thank CBR for all their support. Oh, my goodness. All our different journeys from 100%. the first time we put out anything. You know, CBR has always been a, a huge supporter. So thank you guys. Thank you to our Marvel team and, and also to all the other uh, publishers and, and, and comic book writers and just writers in general and creatives. Keep shining. Our keep audience. Uh, dreaming. Yes. All, yep. Yep. Keep dreaming and keep being the best version of yourself. And on that, I say peace. Love and thank you guys. Love it. Peace. I want to say thank you to Taboo and B. Earl for this fantastic episode. Daredevil and Echo is on sale now at your local comic shop or wherever comics are sold online. And as always, thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, share it with a friend. And we'll see you next time on Dynamic Duos. Dynamic Duos.